Well, good morning, saints. As uh, Tim mentioned earlier in the service, the lighting looks a little different. Um, due to the theme of our service this morning, but allow me to begin. Um, I was so struck by the early morning sun, not the sunrise, the sun driving in this morning. The wisps of cloud, just clouds all throughout, you know, above as I was driving in, it just helped me to worship a little bit more uh, coming in this morning. I just want to take a moment to acknowledge our creator and the beauty of our creation that he gives us reminders of his presence and his love and care for each and every one of us. So we are stepping aside this morning from 1 John. We've been in a series in uh, John's first epistle. Our Advent series, if you can call that this, this month, is basically to focus on three key words or concepts that John uses extensively in his writings, in his gospel, and in his three epistles in particular. Light, love, and life. Light, love, and light. When you read John, you will see that he employs these words well over a hundred times. He uses them a lot. You see, my goal here during these anxious and even contentious times, is to settle our hearts and our minds on the enduring headline, Christ has come. Christ has conquered death. Christ is coming again. And God is faithful to his gospel promises He will conform me fully and completely and forever to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Each of these three words, light, love, and life, speak so powerfully to the advent or the coming of Christ. Who he is and what he would accomplish. The effects of his ministry. Today we look at the word light. Light is the focus for this morning. At the very beginning of God's revelation, there is a contrast that is given. Light and darkness. And light one. Light permeates the darkness. And it was all at the command of God like that. And so God said, Genesis 1 verse 3, the third verse in your Bible. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Because God said so in that moment. And everything changed. This contrast and the vivid picture will run all the way through your Bible 
the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, right through the full glory of the gospel in the New Testament. It will in particular permeate John's writing. If you read John carefully, he always take, he takes us back to Genesis 1. In John chapter 1, clearly he is putting, he is juxtaposing the truth and the coming of Christ against Genesis chapter 1. And he does so again in his first epistle. He is framing his understanding, what he wants you to know about the coming of Christ in the contrast of light and darkness. So I'd like to begin this morning by walking through your Old Testament and seeing how this concept is developed throughout God's word. As we do this, we will slowly bring the lights down so you can enter more fully into this narrative. You will sit in darkness because that is the anticipation and the longing of the coming of Christ. And I will now switch to my phone because I need something to illuminate what I am reading because at this time my notes are rather useless. We begin at the Exodus. The Lord redeemed his people from slavery. Looking back after the exile, God's people recalled God's faithfulness in leading them out of Egypt. They remembered darkness and light. This is Nehemiah chapter 9. There was a revival that took place in the land and they had rediscovered and were honoring God's word. They said, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. That is, you delivered them, but you were faithful to stay with them. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart them by day. Well, that's fine because you can see. Oh, but when night fell and you couldn't see nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way they should go. As God's people were delivered and called to honor and to follow God, God, God provided the light. He provided the way coming out of the wilderness. We turn now to the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, there was darkness. It was an enclosed area. So God said, command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp that a light may be kept burning regularly in the tabernacle. 
in that very sacred place where the sacred ministries were taking place. Remember we saw before the bread of life seen in the Ark of the Covenant. We now see the light of the world. God giving light where it was needed. Now, there were applications that were made not only corporately to the people as a whole, but also to individual people. Each of us, as God's child, could trust God implicitly regarding light and darkness. You might be familiar with these words. For it is you, God, who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. A lamp is used to give light, to guide, to help you find your way. God is the one who lights our lamp. The Lord is my light and my salvation, the psalmist says elsewhere. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When fear runs strong, I trust in the Lord. This is the message all throughout the Old Testament. As people would trust in the Lord. We continue in the Psalms. Look at this one. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Now here's what I want you to see. Remember, light, love, life. Notice how the Spirit in the Old Testament intertwines these concepts together. You will often see words like light and life together. It is only in God's light that we actually see true light. Look at a temporal Salvation, that is salvation, not eternally, but in this life. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I might walk before the Lord or before God in the light of life. Light and life together. Now, there's another word. Walk. Which is a Hebrew or a Jewish way of denoting our daily activity, the course of our life, the direction of our life as a whole, but also individual choices that we make each and every day. When you read John, he will use the word walk 
over and over and over again. Because the life of God in a person is not a mere intellectual belief. It is, it, it takes, it, it directs us in life itself. Now look at this. Let's look at God's word. This is extremely important. God's word, every individual word of God's word gives us life or light, I should say. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Do you see that? If you want the light of God's truth, do not go to culture and your friends and whatever is being talked about in your generation. Go to the timeless truths of God's word. Now, why does this look so familiar? About 10 years ago, I made this the signature line on my email. You might say, ah, that's where I've seen this verse before. It's a good verse for a pastor to like. Now let's go to the minor prophets. Let's go away from the Psalms. And we could spend weeks just looking at this in the Psalms. But I just want to give you a flavor in the Old Testament. This is Micah. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. What is Micah speaking to? There are times that others do evil towards us. There are times that we sit in darkness, be it grief or anger or being hurt by others, whatever it is. But here is what Micah calls to mind. God is with me. And when God is with me, no matter the circumstances, I have light. I have hope. I have clarity. Let's look at some other prophets. Let's look at Isaiah. We call him a major prophet. His book is a little bit longer than Micah's. Remember the prophets, their primary purpose really was to call the people to repentance, to call them back to God because they had a tendency to wander from him. O house of Jacob, come. Let us Walk in the light of the Lord. Do you see this? The reoccurring theme. It doesn't matter which human author you are actually reading. The focus here is in regards to walking, to living in the light of the Lord. You'll see it in the Old Testament. You'll see it in Paul's writings. And you'll certainly see it in John's writing. Because the truth of God. The light of God. Is not something for you to believe in your head. We call it head knowledge. Or intellectual assent. And then live a whole different way. Not at all. It controls how you live. One more from Isaiah. 
there were times that the prophets had to employ what we call a woe, which is you are way out of line and you had better take cover and do so quickly. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. You see, the two don't mix and there actually is a distinction. Who put bitter for sweet. You, you can't do that. That is a brief walk through the Old Testament, looking at various passages which speak to how God consistently speaks of light. And yes, we're doing this slowly to protect your eyeballs. As you have sat in darkness, now you are seeing the light. Isaiah chapter 9. If you care to turn there, I invite you to see it in your own Bible. Throughout all of Israel's torturous history, there remained a consistent message of hope for the nation, for the people. This is Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made, God has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee. Of the nations. Now stop there for just a moment. You recognize the name Galilee and Jordan. Think of the ministry of Christ. Think of all that took place in that proximity. But now watch what Isaiah does. Isaiah designates Galilee for the nations. Because God is doing something. Yes, he chose the people of Israel. And yes, through, through them came the oracles of God and, of course, the Son of God. But the plan through the Son of God via the Word of God was to bless the nations. And Isaiah speaks of that in chapter 49. The people, he continues, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness... Have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. On them the light has shone. Now this is gospel truth being spoken. The contrast that he is using. Is darkness and light. The people who sat. Who lived in a land of darkness, metaphorically speaking, they have seen a great light. Those who had no hope. Those who, long, who longed for the coming of the Messiah. Those who would be in exile 
waiting, waiting for the coming of the Christ, of God's anointed one. They have seen a great light. God's light will appear in a way that it has never been seen before. Emmanuel, God with us. You see, in the Hebrew scriptures, it was all put in terms of God's truth and God's presence leading the people out of Egypt and the truth of God to walk in. And now Isaiah says, listen, I know things are really difficult. You kind of got yourself in that mess to begin with. But I digress. Things are going to get better because light is coming. Now you say, why are you twisting this Old Testament passage to talk about Jesus? Isn't that leaping to a conclusion and serving your own purposes? No, because you need to keep reading. I'll take you to familiar territory just a few verses down. Chapter 6. For to us a child is born. Do you see what the light is? The light is that child. And a son is given. You see, a child is born, but a son is given. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so the Hebrew way of of emphasizing what he's saying actually brings great clarity. Because the hope is going to be centered in a child who is born. It's unusual at times, I say this all the time, to talk about, you know, we got to say that he's been born. But you got to say that with Jesus. The incarnation is a big deal. When God took on the form of flesh. But a child is born and a son is gifted. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name, oh, his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Who or how could God ever possibly bring peace to such tumultuous God would show up. He would no longer send the prophets. He would no longer send righteous men and women to call people on their sins. And how does he describe the coming of this child and the gift of his son? Light. Light. Of the increase of his government, verse 7, or his rulership, and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. How is this going to happen? The zeal of Almighty God will make this happen. Because only God could do this. Only God could make this happen. 
So now we shift to the New Testament. Simeon, a righteous and a devout man in Jerusalem. The Spirit led him to go to the temple at the very time when these teen parents were showing up with a little one called Jesus. What does Simeon say, Luke chapter 2? He's now laid eyes on Jesus. He has laid eyes on that one who is the light that Isaiah spoke of. That baby who is called mighty God. Never in the history of ever has a Jewish parent dared to call their son or daughter mighty God. Oh, but this one's different. The people have seen a great light. They have hope. They see truth incarnate. And it's not just for the Jews. It's for everyone. So Simeon, verse 29 of Luke chapter 2. Now, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace. I'm ready to die. I've seen it. I need nothing else in life. He was elderly. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Imagine this godly, devout man of God longing for the coming of the Messiah, of the anointed one, the hope of Israel. And he gets a personal view. The spirit brings him to the temple so he can see this little baby. My eyes have seen your salvation, your deliverance that you have prepared in the presence of all People, this is not done in the dark. This is not done in secret. God shows up. He appears in Bethlehem. And now obviously he's in Jerusalem. You have prepared in the presence of all people. Are you ready? A light. A light. When Isaiah spoke of light, that's the one right here. You have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He's here. And Simeon correctly takes all of the Hebrew scriptures and all of the hope filled verses about the light of God. And he now places it on the shoulders of this little baby, this little one. And he says, I'm done. I'm I'm ready to go home. I've seen the salvation of the Lord. Literally, I'm ready to die. I I have seen this. My heart rejoices. I'm ready to go home. Now, The beauty and the tension of the gospel is this. When we brought the lights back up, you could see everything around you. Light has a way 
of shining in the darkness and exposing our true selves. Light has a way of exposing sin. And here's where the gospel digs deep. Remember John 3.16? I think you probably know it. For God so loved the world. But just a few verses down, this commentary on the gospel is so important. And this is the judgment, verse 19. The light has come into the world. Christ has come. Isaiah is now fulfilled. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds or their works are evil. You see, the gospel, as Paul puts it, he puts it this way, the gospel is beautiful for us who believe. But the gospel becomes an enigma, it becomes a stumbling block, it becomes an offense, Paul says, for the world. Because the gospel, Christ, shines the light on our darkness. And not only our practice of sin, but, matters of the heart, our love for the darkness. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Why? Lest his works would be exposed. And this is the gospel. The heart of the gospel comes right at you. And as John would tell us, as Jesus said in the gospel of John, the spirit will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. So the gospel is not a soft message. The gospel comes and exposes you. It exposes you and me for who we really and truly are. But it becomes the best message if we stick around. Because the gospel gives a way of deliverance. Remember how Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, blessed are those who come to a place where we readily admit... What is plainly obvious, not only to ourselves, but anyone who lives around us. We're sinners. God exposes that. But blessed are the poor in spirit who say, yes, I am a sinner. That is me. Who turn to the Lord and put their faith and their trust And their confidence fully and only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let us hear from our Lord himself. John chapter 8. Again Jesus spoke to them. 
saying, I am the light of the world. That is one of the more profound statements in Scripture that we don't give, pay enough attention to. Remember, again, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, I will not only, I will not only teach by the law and the prophets, that is, that'll be my straightage, but I will fulfill them. That's where it got a little uncomfortable for the Pharisees. Because Jesus was essentially saying that he will teach the truth, but he is the truth. And so Jesus takes all of those light statements in the Psalms, in the prophets. And he says, it's fully embodied in me. Fully realized in me. I am the light of the world. Now, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. There's the word walk again. Your life. Just like the entire Old Testament, Jesus says, I'm the light. Like I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? All of that is embodied in me. If you'll come with me, you will not live or walk in darkness. But you will have the light of life. Could he be any clearer? I wanted to show you those Hebrew scripture references so you could see the full force of what Jesus is actually saying. Now, none of this is lost on the Pharisees. Jesus' friends who would hang around with him and heckle him and and try to catch him or trick him. They said, yeah, hang on a second, buddy. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your, wit- your testimony is not true. Irrelevant. Don't listen to them, everyone. Because the law says you've got to have two or three t- uh, witnesses. Well, Jesus just walks around and s- makes these statements. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he actually doesn't turn to anyone and say, Peter, do you agree with that? Can you, can you give me a witness? He doesn't do that. Why? Because he's the son of God. He came to fulfill the law. Jesus was the one who could actually say things that no one else could say. I mean, when you read the the Gospels, there are ridiculous statements that are made. And I say that reverently. If you're paying attention. When Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. You will never see Ezekiel, Daniel, David, any of those guys saying that because they can't do it. They would just point to God. Jesus, of course, pointed to God by saying, come to me. I will give you rest. So let's tie this all together. Three thoughts I want to leave you with this morning. The first one is this. It might seem like a simple statement. The light has come. Selah, you'll find that in the Psalms a lot. It's kind of a hard word to really render, but in that context, it it means pause, reflect, settle your mind on this. 
I'm going to tell you something that each and every one of you knows. The headlines come after you real hard these days. I want this to be your headline. I want us to recalibrate ourselves. This is the headline that will never go away. The light has come. All that the Old Testament prophets spoke to. He's come. He's the light of the world. And when you find yourself getting anxious or angry or even judgmental towards others, you just take yourself right back here. The light has come. Secondly, practically speaking, am I walking in the light? It's true that if you're a believer, John will tell you you're in the light. But we need for our daily conduct, our thoughts, our attitudes to match our confession. Are we walking in the light? That is, are we intentionally walking in this direction where God is leading? It's easy to be distracted. It's easy to even be deceived on certain things. Am I walking in the light? Am I living for the honor and the glory of God alone? Or am I in different ways seeking my own, my own reputation, my own glory? And connected to that, how can I shine brighter? None of us have arrived. So ask yourself this question. This season, and I think it's a healthy thing to set aside time to remember Christ has come. The light has come. Jesus specifically said, I am the light of the world. Have I digressed? Have I gone to a place where I shouldn't? Am I living for lesser things? Am I focused or obsessed On lesser things. How can my light shine. Maybe just a little bit brighter. And what I'm really saying is. How can I let. My family. My neighbors. My colleagues. My buddies. Whatever. See a little bit more of Christ. And a little bit less of Colin. Each and every day. Jesus fulfills. Every longing. Jesus is the light of the world. As we highlight this this season. Put all of this in the back of your mind. Because we will return to 1 John after the holidays. And notice how he uses light extensively. Let's pray together. Every eye closed and head bowed. Without question, we are living in difficult times. We always, this time of year, have our cultural celebrations and 
emphases to kind of deal with and remember, as they say, the real reason for the season. That's there. You know what's also there? There is a lot of anxiety and fear and frustration. A lot of difficulties that many are facing. I want to encourage you. The light has come. He's come. He's conquered death. He's coming again. And if your faith and your trust is in him... He will fulfill God's gospel promises and conform you fully and forever to the image of Christ. That's staggering and breathtaking. Perhaps if you're visiting today or you're newer to our church, This confidence that we speak of is actually not the product of doing your best to live a moral or ethical life. That actually is exhausting. And the longer you try that, the quicker you realize that it does not work. Thank God for the light of the gospel and the good news and the simplicity and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved so that you can walk in light. Walk and live in freedom because it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. There are so many headlines and information bits and things that are pressing for your attention. I urge you, I encourage you, I beseech you, as the scripture says. Set your mind on these truths. They're so freeing. And let the peace of God and the word of God rule in your hearts. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. For the hope of the gospel, the peace of the gospel. This week we pray that you would set our minds on the light of the world. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for giving us a true meaning and purpose in life. May this blessed truth. Govern us this week. All of these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.